I wonder what it was like for that, uh, that dad who got the news. I don't know what that is. There, I, I couldn't catch it. Um, I wonder if the dad's like, wait, tell me again, like, what am I supposed to do? I mean, the things that have happened so far is that God's turned water into blood. The second plague is just frogs just kind of took over the whole country of Egypt, and then gnats, and I've actually, I've read some commentaries that it, instead of gnats, it might have been mosquitoes, not, depend, not totally uh, sure on the word, but either one of those would suck. Just consumed the whole land of Egypt. It goes from that to flies, then livestock is dying out, then boils start showing up on the bodies of the Egyptians, then hail, then locusts, and then darkness hits, and it's when you read the scriptures, all these things happened to the people of Egypt, but the people of Israel were kept from all of it. But this last one is different. Moses said, this is what has to happen. God has made this final warning to the people of Egypt, to Pharaoh. You need to let my people go. And yet even in the scriptures, it said that God said, and he will harden his heart and I'll harden his heart and all this is going to happen. But after this last plague, he's going to let you go. See, without the covering of blood over the doorposts, any house that doesn't have that, the firstborn child in that home would die. Can you imagine every parent listening to most Kate tell us what we're supposed to do? And then in Exodus chapter, chapter 12, verse 5, it says, Your lamb shall be without blemish. One year old, without blemish. Don't pick the one that thinks it's a dog and barks like, bark like, like, pick the one that is the best out of the flock. And you need to slaughter, then you, did, then you need to take a, a hyssop branch and you need to take the blood and you need to paint the, the sides of your door frame and then the top. Can you imagine every parent taking notes to make sure as they're looking at their firstborn? Can you imagine young parents and they've got only one kid, it's just this one. And mama's always like, take notes, you better pay attention to this one. Man, this is serious. And I know that we could look at this and go, you know what, this is just isn't fair. And I don't know if I've mentioned yet, I think we just don't want fair. We want grace. Fair means that we go to hell. Fair means that we have to pay for our own sin. Fair means that Jesus never came. We want grace, and yet when God judges, he's right in his judgment. And he's given them warning after warning after warning. So you need to slaughter this lamb that, without blemish, slaughter it, then take the blood and cover the house. Cover the doorpost. And when God passes over wherever he sees the blood, he will pass over that house, show mercy, and let the firstborn live. Friends, that passage or that part in Exodus chapter 12 is actually fulfilled perfectly by Jesus. Guys, when you start looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, for Christ our Passover lamb has been crucified. We look at John the Baptist when he sees Jesus coming in the crowd and, he's, and it's been revealed that, hey, this is the Messiah and Jesus is actually John the Baptist's cousin. And what does he say? He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I mean, the first thing that he mentions about this Jesus, this Messiah, he doesn't say, hey, there's the Christ. 
Now he says, no, no, the, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The writer of Hebrews says this in chapter 9, verse 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And that later on in chapter 10, the writer says, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So then what's the point of the sacrifices? Like, why are they sacrificing all these animals if it doesn't make anyone truly right with God? Because it's impossible to take the blood of bulls and goats and to bring about true forgiveness. So what's the purpose? Friends, all of those sacrifices that are prescribed in the Old Testament, they're all just declaring the coming of Jesus and what it is that he would accomplish. Again, we can look and say, but all that judgment's not fair. But here's the thing. Do you find yourself getting kind of used to the fact that Jesus died for you? I mean, robbing in the church, go to a Christian school. I mean, haven't you gotten kind of used to it? You've heard it over and over, right? He died for you. Jesus died for you. And maybe sometimes it's kind of guilty. He died for you. He's like, they just kind of make, they want to throw the guilt on, so why? We'll behave. But haven't you heard it? And isn't it amazing we can look at people and go, okay, so that's not fair that they had to go through it. But then we look at Jesus, who was actually completely innocent, had never sinned in word, thought, or deed, did nothing wrong. For some reason, we're okay with his sacrifice and his death. But friends, I don't think we get what it is that he went through. Guys, you imagine what that first Christmas was like? I mean, Mary had been told this is what's coming. But she was also told later on by this prophet who said, you know what, it's going to pierce your heart. Like what's he, what he's going to go through, it's going to pierce your heart. And that first Christmas, I remember, does anybody, I don't know if they have this in Modesto somewhere, like a neighborhood, they just do tons and tons of Christmas lights. It looks like Disney on steroids. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, so you've been there? Are, we have one, but... It used to be where you could walk up and down and then cars would come through. Now they've just changed it where you have to drive through. It's not even worth it. I'm like, I why, why, why would I do that? Can you still walk through yours? Oh, you guys are so, we should move to Modesto. I should move to where you guys live. But you can't do it ours. But I remember when we could walk through, I'm walking up and down and everyone's going nuts. I'm thinking of their electric bill. That's what I'm thinking of. Like I'm, everyone's like, ah, oh, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. And I'm like, how much do you pay? How much do you pay? How much do you have to pay? And I, I mean, I've heard reports. It is massive what they have to pay. But this whole neighborhood, if you, if you buy a house there, you have to pretty much sign saying, I will decorate for Christmas like I've got no life, like I'm gonna go for it, okay? So this is what they do. And so I'm walking along and I see this, I see all this stuff and I see this one house and all they've got is three crosses in the, in the, in the yard. And here's the first thought I had. I'm looking at it going, that's, that's the wrong holiday. Like what do, you, what do you have three crosses for? I mean, little baby Jesus isn't supposed to be up there yet and it's as if the Holy Spirit's like, hey dummy, that's the whole reason he came. Guys, do you realize it's almost as if the manger of Jesus was laid there in the shadow of the cross of the Christ. That's the whole reason he came was to come for us. And yet I still don't think we get, I think we've gotten used to it. Guys, what did it feel like for Jesus? What did it feel like if he's walking through and he, he sees uh, he sees someone that Rome put on a cross. Did it make him nervous? 
Guys, there were times where he just laughed and had joy, and there were times where he was broken and hurt and cried. But the time before he goes to the cross, man, there is something different about his countenance. Guys, he's in the garden with his disciples, and he'd already told all of them. In the upper room, he'd looked at all of them and said, hey, all of you are going to desert me tonight. And here comes Peter. God loved Peter. If you want to know what Peter's like, Peter's like a... He's a man who doesn't think before he talks, which is like, isn't that every man? Pretty much right there. Yes, that's us. He's like, okay, wait, wait. No, no, even if all of these other slackers, if they desert you, I never will. I would, I would go to prison. No, no, I would die for you. He's all in. And what's Jesus tell him in, in the upper room? He says, Peter, like they're just gonna bolt. But you? You're going to verbally deny even knowing me three times before the rooster crows for the morning. Mm -mm. Nope. Nope. So now they're in the garden. And he's taken the three disciples with him further than the rest. And he's told them to stay up and pray. And the Bible says that Jesus went about a stone's throw away and collapsed to the ground. And he began to pray. And he said, there's part of his prayer. He says, Father. Guys, in that word, Father, in the Aramaic, in the Aramaic language, it's the word Abba. Anybody know what that word means? We think it means father, but it's actually more personal than that. I remember it, it's dad, it's daddy, it's, it's actually dada or papa. It's what a one-year-old calls dad for the first time. I remember the first time I was driving home, I heard my, my oldest call me dada. I remember it. It blew my mind. So I'm talking to Kelly, and she goes, hey, Tyler wants to talk to you, which at that age, I was kind of like, he wants to talk like, he really wants to talk to me or he just wants to make noises? He's like, it's, hold on. So he gets in. He's just going through all that stuff. And I'm like, okay, tell me about your day. Did you take care of your mom? What did you do? Did you get a job? Like, I'm going through all these questions. And he's like, and he's just going through it. And then all of a sudden, my wife goes, okay, tell him bye. And he goes, ba-ba-da-da. And I went, oh, there it is. And then I told my wife, I'm going to go buy him a pony. I didn't because we couldn't afford it, but I was like, it just kind of got me. Guys, that's what Jesus is crying out, this intimacy that he has with his dad, the father. He says, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. What's he talking about? Well, guys, in the Old Testament, the cup is this picture of the wrath of God, and so what he's saying is, Father, will you take your wrath from me, but not my will, your will be done. And then he goes back to the three disciples that are supposed to be praying. Do you remember what they're doing? They're sleeping. Remember Peter, who said, I would die with you. He couldn't even stay awake for him. And I used to judge him until I realized I'm just as bad. Guys, I don't know what happened. I used to be fun. At like eight, I start to fall asleep in my chair. Like, it's, it's really, it's like I woke up going, oh my gosh, what happened? Guys, you ever try to pray after you get into bed and realize what a mistake it was? Not when it's hot. Like, it, like when it's cold, you get under the covers, you're like, you're doing the wiggle. You know the wiggle, you're trying to find the spots. Like, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Boop, there it is. You're ready to go. And then you're getting ready to pray. You say, dear Jesus, I just, and you're gone. <laughs> you wake up 17 hours later and you're praising the Lord. And you're like, I just prayed all night. All night. I used to judge him until I realized I'm no different. 
But Jesus looks at the three and says, guys, I know the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. You have to pray. And there's something different about him. The Bible says he went off again. He began to pray again. Comes back and he sees the disciples sleeping. And he goes off and he continues to pray. And we think that he only said that same thing over and over. But guys, when you get to John chapter 17, guys, that's what he prayed. And there's a point in that prayer where Jesus says, this is what I want. Friends, it's one of the only times where I actually see Jesus say, this is what I want. Everything else, it's like Jesus saying, hey, I only say the things I hear the Father saying. I only do the things that I see him doing. But here he says, this is what I want. Father, this is what I want. I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see me in my glory. Guys, you realize that in the garden, he's praying for us. He wants us to see him in his glory. And he wants us to be with him. Guys, you know he's terrified of what's about to come. Luke is the only one that records this. And he was be the, it makes sense because he was a doctor. That part in the scriptures where it says that in Jesus sweat drops of blood, it's not just this poetic license thing that says, oh, he had so much agony and he's, he's trying to be poetic and creative. Guys, you realize that there's a medical term called hematidrosis? And what it is, it means that when you're under so much stress and you're terrified of something, something your capillaries in your forehead will burst and you will begin to sweat drops of blood. Jesus is terrified of what's coming. So when he's praying, Father, take this cup from me, it's almost like he's saying, I don't want to do it. I don't want to go to the cross. But not my will, your will be done. And if Jesus just got done saying over here, I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see me in my glory. This was the only way. So Jesus comes to his disciples and there they are sleeping. Can you see him just kind of kick him, guys, get up. But why do they need to wake up? Because Jesus sees this little mound of people coming, carrying lanterns and clubs and maybe here's some chains and and he just says, get up, my betrayer's at hand. Do you remember who's leading the little mound of people? The little mob? Judas. You ever wonder why he led the way? You ever wonder why he didn't just point him in the direction and then leave? I don't, I don't, it doesn't say it. But friends, we got to remember Jesus. Jesus was tough. They didn't find Jesus like running away or hiding behind a rock or climbed a tree trying to hide. No, no, Jesus walked. The Bible says Jesus walked straight toward Judas. At what point do you think Judas might be thinking, ah, this might have been a mistake? And what did, G what is, what did Judas use as this, uh, as this sign of who Jesus was? Hey, the one that I, do you remember? The one that I kiss is the one. Guys, he used... He used a symbol of friendship and turned it into a symbol of betrayal. And what did Jesus call him? Friend. Guys, I gotta be honest, I don't think I would have called somebody who's betraying me to death friend. And so they begin to bind Jesus up. And all of a sudden, here's Peter <laughs> jumping to the rescue. Pulls out a sword and hacks off a dude's ear. Like just gone, gone. It's on the ground. And you ever wonder, like, what were you aiming at, Peter? 
Like, how did you get his ear? I mean, most people are going for a kill shot, unless he's like, the marks are just, oh. Or maybe it's more like he just doesn't do a lot of sword stuff because he's a fisherman. He's like, ah. And maybe that's why Jesus is like, oh, Peter, put it away. That's embarrassing, brother. Put it away. Put it away. That is bad. And then what's Jesus do? Do you remember? He picks up the guy's ear off the ground. That's a weird day. And then he walks over to Malchus, that's his name, and he heals it, puts it back on the guy's head and heals him right there in front of everyone. Show of hands, how many, how many would have put it on backwards just because? It's like, mm, no, now you can hear people talking behind your back. It's awesome. But it's like, he heals him. Don't you think that at some point, one of the people said, they're going, okay, well, I'm not doing this. What if Malchus, maybe he should have stepped it going, I like the guy. But they still arrest him. Why? Because, friends, this was planned and ordained before time began. Friends, nothing was going to stop this. Nothing. And no one. And so they bind Jesus, and what happened to all the disciples? They all, they all bolt. Friends, have any of you ever felt like in your darkest and hardest time in life, you've ever felt like all the people that you thought were your friends bugged out and deserted you? Do you realize that you have a Jesus who understands? He gets it. He knows what you feel like. You ever been wrongly accused of something? Jesus gets it. And you'll see the accusations that come that have no bearing, there's no truth to it, and yet Jesus stayed silent because he had a greater purpose. And so they take him bound, and the disciples of Volta, they take him to the high priest's house, and in the courtyard they take him in, and John somehow sneaks Peter in. On the way, they had smacked him around, beat him up a little bit. Then they get there, and they're waiting for the high priest to come out, and all of a sudden this little servant girl comes walking up to Peter going, you were with him. He's like, I don't know him. She's like, no, I saw you. I saw you with him. You were with him. No, I don't know him. This, per this other person, this other man walks, no, 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 I can tell by your accent. We've seen you with him. You're with him. And the third time, it's almost like Peter says, you know what? May God damn me. I don't know the man. The Bible says that right when he said that, the rooster crowed. And Jesus looked straight into the eyes of Peter. You guys remember what the Bible says that Peter did? He ran away and wept bitterly. And then they walk up to Jesus and they start this fake court hearing. And it's illegal. It's the middle of the night. They're not allowed to do it. Here, it's completely illegal what they're doing. And they get all these false witnesses coming in and saying these stories, but none of the stories are corroborating. And so they're just, they're telling the stories and Jesus isn't saying anything. At some point, the high priest just finally says this, just tell us, are you the Christ? And Jesus says something like this, it is as you say. And soon you're going to see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. He's using a prophetic statement from the book of Daniel, talking about like him coming. And the high priest hears it and he tears his robe. He's like, oh, this is blasphemy. And they take a vote, and they're like, we need to get rid of him. Let's kill him. Now, they can't do it, so they got to go to what? They got to go to the government. 
And so take him before Pontius Pilate, and we're going to fast forward through this just for time's sake. Pontius Pilate says, I don't want anything to do with it. Send him to Herod. Goes to Herod. Herod's kind of a fake king. He's like, hey, do some tricks. Tell me some stories. Jesus doesn't say much, doesn't do any tricks, and Herod's like, I don't want to deal with this. Send him back to Pilate. And so as he's standing before Pilate, all these accusations being made, he calls himself a king. That's in direct opposition to Caesar. He's supposed to die. And so Pilate has this conversation, is asking him questions, and Jesus is staying silent. And all of a sudden, Pilate makes this statement, do you not understand that I have the authority to release you? And then Jesus speaks up, and this is my paraphrase of what it is that he said, but I think it was something like this, oh, Pilate, you're JV, welcome to varsity. Oh, you are a pawn. Like the authority that you think that you have has been given to you by my father. And if at some point I wanted to call legions of angels down to defend me and to bring me out of this, they would come in obedience to me. Pilate, welcome to the ordained plan of God that you had no part in. You were a pawn in his play. Do you realize that in the Bible says that from that moment on, Pilate tried to get him released? And so Pilate comes up with this plan. He's like, hey, I haven't heard anything that's worth crucifying, so I'll have him flogged. As if that's merciful. Friends, do you know what that is? It's a whipping. It's actually worse than that. This is what would have happened to Jesus. They would have taken Jesus and they would have brought him to this vertical beam that's, that's connected into the ground. They would have stripped him naked. They would have taken his wrists and tied leather strips from his wrist to that, to, that, to that post. So his back is completely stretched out. And then the two Roman guards, one on each side, each holding what's called the cat of nine tails. What is that? Well, picture a stick about 12 to 18 inches in length, tied at the end of that, uh, that sticker are strips of leather, and tied at the end of those strips of leather are pieces of glass and razor and bone and sharp rock. It becomes a claw. And friends, these, these soldiers knew what they were doing. Can you imagine, as it came across the back the first time, in order to get it off, they would change the angle in which they, so if they come down this way, they would then pull it this way to open up his back. 39 times Jesus experienced this from his neck to his calves. Why 39 times seems like such an awkward number, a weird number? You know why they moved it from 40 to 39? Because too many people died at 40. So bring it back one. And friends, still, I don't think that's why Jesus sweat drops of blood. Can you imagine as they untie his wrist and he collapses to the ground? And then they, they pick him up and someone found this purple robe and now this isn't even part of it. They're just mocking him. And they put the purple robe on and then they found these thorns and they, they made this makeshift crown and they put it on his head and the Bible says that someone took a rod and smashed it up against his skull to make sure it stayed. And then they would blindfold him and punch him in the face and smack him with the rod saying, prophesy, who hit you? And then they would take it off and before five to 600 Roman soldiers, they would have him stand there and all five or 600 would say, oh, hail, king of the Jews, in mockery. And Jesus said nothing. Why? Father, I want those that you have given to be with me and to see me in my glory. Can you imagine as they bring him back to Pilate? He's all marred up, beaten, bruised, bloodied. Isaiah in his prophetic work 
He said he was so badly beaten that he didn't even resemble humanity, didn't resemble a human being. And Pilate's like, okay, so this is what we can do. I always release one prisoner this time of year. Do you want Jesus or Barabbas? You want Jesus or the murderer? The terrorist? Which one? It's like he's, you see how easy he's making? It's like he's honestly thinking, they're, of course they're going to pick this guy. Can you imagine as his jaw begins to drop a little bit, as all of a sudden he starts hearing Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. You imagine Barabbas looking, kind of smiling. And what did he feel like as he had his chains released and he's let out into society and Jesus just continued to stand there, crown of thorns around his head, a purple robe of mockery, bleeding because of what he just endured. And to hear Pilate say, then what do you want me to do with him? And the chant starts, crucify him. Crucify him. Imagine the religious leaders running around, guys, come on. Crucify him, yeah, crucify him. And the place just goes nuts. Isn't it amazing that these same people less than a week before, as Jesus is riding in on the colt of a donkey, as he's riding in on the day prophesied in the book of Daniel that the Messiah would come in, that they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're calling out these messianic titles for Jesus. They're saying, this is him. This is the one we believe. Hosanna. The word Hosanna doesn't mean hallelujah. It doesn't mean praise the Lord. When they're saying Hosanna, they're saying, save now. Save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Save us. And less than a week later, they're calling for his crucifixion. Why? Because this is a plan ordained by God before time began. And so Pilate goes, signs the edict, washes his hands in front of the people and says, his blood is on you. His blood is on your hands. It's not just on us, but on our children as well. Having no clue that they were speaking prophetically right there. The Bible says that they took the purple robe off and they put on his garments. And then they took the crossbeam of the cross, not the whole thing, but the crossbeam, that weighs between 70 to 120 pounds, and they place it across the back, across the shoulders of Jesus, in which Jesus would then begin to embrace it. And then Jesus would start to walk. Now he's surrounded by Roman guards. Why? Because people would break through and grab his beard and pull it out and spit on him and slap him around. And yet Jesus just kept walking he kept walking toward where he would be crucified. Why would he do this? Because in the garden he prayed this prayer, I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am to see me in my glory. What if every step, every time someone came in and did something to him, what if he just looks like, I want them to be with me, I want them to be with me, and he just kept taking another step, and another step after going through everything that he went through, continues to walk with 70 to 120 pounds on his back, he continues to keep going forward. Guys, I think that's why the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12, I think it's verse 2, he says, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, catch it 
who for the joy set before him endured the cross and scorned its shame. What was the joy set before him? Us. Us. But friends, at some point, the weight becomes too heavy and he just collapses to the ground. Can you imagine what it would feel like to hit the ground and have 70 to 120 pounds just land on you? And he can't get up, he can't move the cross. Roman guard sees this guy, Simon, looks at him and says, hey, come here, carry it, finish it. He says, I can't do it, no, pick it up, go. It doesn't say in the passage, but can you, what did it look like as he, as he picks it up off of Jesus and he's holding, did all of a sudden maybe he starts helping Jesus up and what if Jesus with one eye kind of shut because it's swollen up, getting beat up so bad. He's just looking and what if he whispered, I want him to be with me. And as Simon picks up the cross and Jesus continues to walk toward his death. And then they get to the place of the skull, the place called Golgotha. And they would take that cross beam and connect it to the vertical beam. And then they would take Jesus and strip him naked again. And they would lay him across the cross. They would take one arm, stretch it out as far as they could, and drive a railroad spike between the two bones in his wrist. And then they would take the other arm, stretch it out as far as they could, and drive a railroad spike between the two bones in that wrist. Then they take one foot, place it up over the other, and bend up his knees and drive a spike through both. And the Bible says that Jesus actually began to pray there. Do you know what he said? Do you remember? He says, oh, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And we think, well, he just said it once. But the way that it's worded in the original language means that Jesus kept saying it over and over. Can you imagine as the mallet's coming down on that railroad spike, he's just sitting there going, oh, Father, forgive them. They don't know. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Can you imagine as those soldiers are driving it in, they're hearing him pray for their forgiveness and they kept going. And then as he's attached to it, then they begin to hoist it up. And gravity becomes too strong for the one that created it. And gravity begins to pull his body down. Because... Because his arms are stretched out and gravity would pull his body down and he has no strength to keep himself up. What his, body would it, what, his, what his body would experience is that his shoulders would dislocate, his elbows would dislocate. And that's it, 9 a.m., he's attached. And he's hanging there. There were some women who had been following him at the foot of Jesus' cross, what were they thinking? What was John thinking as he's standing next to Jesus' mom? And Jesus says, this is now your son. And she's now your mother. In other words, take care of my mom. Even from the cross, he's still serving. Even from the cross, he's still loving. Guys, Crucifixion, people didn't die from bleeding to death. They died because they couldn't breathe. See, from this position, as you're hanging, you can inhale. But in order to exhale, you have to push up on the spike in your feet and pull up on the two spikes that are in your wrists. So don't picture Jesus with these long breaths. It'd be these short. (gasps) And he doesn't speak a lot from the cross because it'd be too painful. Do you realize that noon, at high noon, the place went dark like midnight? 
And there's Jesus. And then at some point, he says this. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Which means this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Guys, it's the only time when I see Jesus pray that he doesn't call God Father. He calls him my God. Why? This is my conviction. I'm convinced that at that moment, Jesus was experiencing the full and complete wrath of God. For the sin of the world, he became what's called the propitiation. He became the target, the new target of God's wrath. Guys, can you imagine what it would feel like for all the sin of all people ever, all the people before Christ in the moment and all of us to follow, all the weight of sin, all the experiences of shame and disgrace that come with it, Jesus is now bearing that as well as the full and complete wrath of God for the sin of the world. He's enduring it. That's why I think he sweat drops of blood. That's what terrified him. It's so easy for us to forget like Jesus endured that. What was the Father experiencing? What was the Holy Spirit experiencing? Can you imagine Michael the archangel just standing there going, just send me. Why are you holding me back? Send me. And nothing? And it's not too long after Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He then says in a loud voice, Father, I love that. Why he's entrusting, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then right before he dies, he breathes out these final words. He says, it is finished. Guys, do you know literally what he said? What he said is a banker's term. Literally what Jesus said was this. Paid in full. It's paid in full. Everything necessary. All the sacrifices from the past that we're supposed to be paying for forgiveness and taking care of forgiveness. It's paid in full, it's finished. There's nothing else that has to be accomplished in order to be right with God. And friends, when that happened, when he said it is finished, the earth shook. And then there's this centurion, this, this soldier who has seen battle standing before Jesus as he hears this and the earth shakes and what's his response? He says, surely this was the son of God. And then the scene shifts from the cross to the temple. And in the temple, there's this, there's this thing called the most holy place. That's where the Ark of the Covenant is. That's where the high priest would go in once a year to on the Day of Atonement to present the sacrifice. No one ever went in there. It was thought that if, if the high priest went in there in a manner unworthy of the holiness of God, that the high priest would die. And so the high priest would wear a bell or something around his belt and a lot of times they place a, a rope around his ankle because if he died, you could just drag him out because nobody's going to go in there. And that most holy place was separated from the rest of it by a curtain that some scholars say is 18 inches thick. And the Bible says that that curtain was torn from top to bottom as if the father took his finger and just sliced it open, saying, now you have access into the most holy place because Jesus went before you and made it possible.
It's been paid in full. It's finished. All the sacrifices pointed to this moment. Guys, it's hard to get used to the cross. It's hard to get used to what Jesus endured when you actually know what he endured. Why would he do it? Who for the joy set before him, the joy set before him. Why would he go through it? For God so loved the world. It's a verse we know, right? You memorized it when you were in the womb. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. He did it because he wanted us and he wanted to be with us. Friends, when I've been preaching this message, when they say, can you, when you preach the gospel, like the cross message or invite people to come to Christ, this is the one I do. I always explain the cross because I feel like it's the thing that oftentimes is neglected, it's overlooked. I remember when I first started in one of the first camps I went to, um, where I had to fly to it, I thought it was a big deal. I was like, dang, I just flew. I flew, I flew from Southern California to Oakland. It's an hour. And I'm like, I'm amazing. I'm almost international. I mean, I just thought I was, a, I was such a jerk. I was so stupid back in the day. And so I remember... I remember I met this kid, and he's just on my heart. I knew he didn't know the Lord, and that night, I finished the message, and I just, I invited kids to come forward, but I wanted them to come forward, and I got told, it's like, it was almost like an ego thing for me, and I've had to repent from that years ago. But I saw him come forward, and I'm like, yes, but you have to play it cool, because you're the pastor. You can't get too excited. So I see him the next day, and he walks up, he goes, Brian, did you see? I said, I did, dude. I saw you, I saw you come forward and you surrendered to Jesus. He goes, yeah, I did. Hey, can you tell me what happened next? And I'm like, you little brat, like you seriously didn't hear it? And I went, I didn't finish the story. I just left Jesus on a cross. I left Jesus in a tomb. You You know why I was doing that? Because it's easier to get an emotional response driven by emotion if you just leave people in guilt. It was an ego thing for me. From that day, I've never forgotten to finish the story. Guys, the cross is unbelievable. It's, it's beautiful and scandalous. Remember this old worship song back in the day, the beautiful, like this beautiful, scandalous cross. Jesus died for us, and three days later, he kicked death in the face and came back from the dead. You know why Jesus from the cross could say, it's finished? Because it was impossible for death to hold him down. Like, it wasn't, he's, sitting there, he's not sitting there going, I don't know if I can finish it. I don't know if it's going to happen. He's kind of like, hey, I'm about ready to die, and death's just going to get a whooping. I will come back from the dead. Guys, if Jesus did not come back from the dead, the cross wouldn't have mattered. Because it means this, if death beat Jesus, then we've got no hope because death will beat us. The cross of Christ reveals the grace, the love, the mercy, the forgiveness, the justice of God, the wrath. But the resurrection of Christ 
declares his victory and his power over everything. Guys, that's where our hope is. That Jesus came back from the dead. At some point he ascended and he's going to come back. But all of that, why? So he could have us. Guys, I'm convinced from cover to cover, if I was to tweet the Bible, which I, don't, I still don't understand Twitter. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I, I used to have social media and I don't have any of it. I just, I got tired of it and I got tired of needing it. Well, why would you need it? Guys, I was one of those pastors that would show up. I would take a picture from behind wherever I'm speaking. I would take a picture of the crowd. Say there's like 17. I made it look like there's 17,000. Take the picture. Then I would, I would write in there, humbled to be here. Hashtag used by Jesus or something like that. And you got all these people going double tapping, like, 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 like. And once it had to hit 100, I'm like, yeah, I'm now What? And I felt like one day as I was spending time with God in his word in Romans chapter 2, and it says something like, and God will give you his praises. I felt like God said, stop treating or using my people for your quick fix of pleasure. Stop needing to be affirmed and listen to what I say about you. And I went, oh. I ran in and told my wife, I just feel like God just jacked me up. And I walked back in and I deleted it. Friends, I don't want you to ever forget why Jesus did what he did. But I don't want you to forget what he endured. And I definitely don't want you to forget that he won. He came back from the dead. Easter happens every year. Guys, he pulled off Easter. Right? Some of you may sit there and go, Brian, honestly, that's the hardest thing for me to believe. Can I just encourage those of you that's just, you're on the fence. It's like, I, everything else I'm with, but it's that part. Can I just encourage you? None of his disciples believed it was going to happen either. How do you know? Because no one was standing outside of his tomb, holding signs and balloons saying, welcome back. <laughs> it's not like they're, staying, they're not like going, hey, it's the countdown, 10, 9, this is it, this is it, 2, nope, no, but no. They didn't have cameras out. They weren't ready to take pictures. They're all hiding. And some women showed up to do what? To prepare his body for burial. Nobody believed he was coming back. And he pulled off Easter. These same disciples that were terrified hiding in, a, hiding in an upper room or hiding in a room not wanting to be found, do you realize that most of them, not all, but most of them died as martyrs? How do you go from wimps and terrified to I will die for this? Jesus came back from the dead. And friends, the Bible is very clear. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You may say, Brian, I disagree with you. That's okay. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, remember, I'm going to side with the guy who pulled off Easter. I'm going to go with him every single time. Are you saying every other religion is wrong? I'm not. Jesus is, and so I agree with him. Every other religion is about do enough good things to get to him, and this is the only one that says you can't, so God came and paid it all. The only one? 
Everything else is work, 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 work. Hopefully you'll make it. And here comes the Bible saying you can't do enough good things to get to him. So Jesus made a way. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And this is kind of what we've cheapened it down to. It's almost just, it's, it's like, just say these words. Just say these words and you're set. Or if you want to accept Jesus in your life, just raise your hand. At no point does the Bible ever say that. That word confess there in the original language means to say something in such a way that your life will follow your declaration. That word Lord means master. So it's not accepting Jesus into my life because before Christ I have no life. I'm surrendering myself to the lordship of Jesus saying that I want to be his follower. The invitation is to follow Jesus, not just get saved. I want to follow Jesus, and when I did, when he called and I said, Jesus, I'm in, the first thing that he gave me was salvation. That's the first part in the start of discipleship. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So here's how we're going to do it. You say, Brian, we're a Christian school. I know. I know. But it doesn't mean you all know Jesus. My prayer is that it's true. I pray that you all do know and follow and love Jesus. But maybe for some that maybe you just don't. So here's how we're going to do it. We're going to do it with every head up and every eye open. You're like, (gasps) why? Well, here's the thing. The Bible says that heaven goes bonkers when one who's lost comes home. And what do we do with our heads bowed and eyes shut? Picture it. Heaven's going bonkers. They have guacamole. They're having a party. They're up going nuts. And we're like this. Do you ever wonder if the angels are like, hey, God, why do they do that? I don't know. I never told them to do it. Can we have our party? Absolutely. They'll get into it at some point. So heads up and eyes open. But I also want you to get this. You do not have to stand up to be right with God. Jesus finished it, and he says, paid in full. It's not, hey, it's what he did on the cross, plus you have to stand up. Here, well, why ask people to stand up? So that you can remember on August 18th, 2022, in the onion. Is that what you call it, the onion? So fitting. In the onion at Hume Lake is when I stood up. Because I remember when I was 17 over at Ponderosa Chapel, I stood up. I remember that day. So it's just like this thing that you remember, I stood up. And I wanted, to, I wanted everyone around me to know that I'm standing up for Jesus and how cool that among your peers, your schoolmates, your teachers, I want them to know I'm standing up because I want to surrender to Jesus. But you don't get saved for the first time again. When you give your life to Christ, he gives himself fully to you and no one can snatch you from the Father's hand. You're his So this is for those of you that you've never surrendered to Jesus, but maybe you're actually starting to see it. The Holy Spirit's beginning to convict you of sin, and the Father is drawing you. Friends, if you want to surrender to Jesus, you can do it right there in your seat. But if you want to let us know so that we can celebrate with you, if you're saying, I've never surrendered my life to Jesus, and here's the thing, I don't want you to feel embarrassed. Like, well, I'm a Christian school, and I've maybe even been playing the part, and what will people think? Guys, honestly, if you have friends that will judge you because you surrender to Jesus, you need to kick those friends to the curb and get some real ones. 
Anyone that will look, on, look down on you because you want to surrender to Jesus? Good night. That's, those, that's, that's not friendship. Friends, this is the most incredible, miraculous thing that could ever happen on the planet. And there is no shame or condemnation. It's an invitation, and Jesus says, you want to follow? Is he worth it? And if he's worth it, you say, I want to be a follower. And Jesus goes, here's salvation. So with everyone watching, heads up, eyes open. If you're saying, I've never surrendered my life to Christ, but you just want to let us know so we can celebrate with you. Understanding the standing doesn't save you, but the declaration and confession of Christ's lordship over your life does. But you want to let us know, is anybody in the room says, I want to surrender my life, or I have surrendered my life since I've been up here. Anybody surrendering your life to Jesus? Anybody? Look around. Don't look at me. I'm safe. Look around at each other. Anybody? Awesome. So rad. That's so rad. Stay right there. Don't sit down. Stay right there. Anybody else? Anybody else? No, no, don't sit down. Stay up, stay up, stay up, stay up. Stay up. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Anybody else? Okay, for those who are standing, just a couple questions, just one word answers back to me, okay? Ready? By standing up, are you confessing that Jesus is Lord of your life? Is Jesus Lord of your life? He's master. By standing up, are you telling everybody here that you believe he died on the cross and came back from the dead and you want to follow him? Then welcome to the family. Hey, teachers and counselors, isn't this why you're here? Right? Isn't this it? Hume staff, isn't this? It just never gets old, right? Second question. Maybe for some of you, you've made that decision, but recently you haven't really been following. You're like, well, Brian, I'm a Christian. I'm just not practicing. That's like me saying, I'm married. I'm just not practicing. <laughs> oh, dang, he went there. <laughs> Guys, I don't know what happened where all of a sudden we get to put a title in front of the word Christian. Oh, I'm a lukewarm Christian, or I'm not a practicing Christian, or I'm a I'm a progressive Christian, or I'm a conservative Christian, or I'm a feminist Christian, or I'm a Friends, all that it is is Christ follower, period. There's one rule in the game, follow the leader. You know what it is? Follow the leader. <laughs> follow. Are you a follower? And so maybe for some of you, you just kind of wandered off and it's time to come back. They're also the second group. Maybe for some of you, you're just broken. That thing you've been having to face for however long it's been, it's just kind of starting to weigh too much on you. Maybe for you, this needs to be the time. I remember when I stood up and I just said, God, would you help me? And I haven't really told anybody, would you help me? 
So if you're in one of those two camps, there's no judgment, there's no condemnation. This is the invitation back into intimacy with God. And for others, it's like just being honest to confess, God, I really need you to show up because I don't know how much longer I can go through this. You're just broken. If, if you're in one of those two camps, would you just stand up? Anybody else? Good deal. Awesome. Awesome. For those who are repenting and coming back, I want you to do this before you fall asleep. Uh, the second half of Luke 15, the prodigal son story. I want you to look at the response of the father when he sees the son. When the son repents and comes back, I'm not going to spoil it, even though I really want to. You read about it, and you look at it, and you watch the response of the father, and that's the same response the father gives now. For those that are broken, I promise you this. I promise you this. The God of all comfort comforts the downcast. You said, I go, why am I having to go through this? You watch how often Jesus stepped in in the crisis and did the miraculous, and those who experienced the miraculous would never trade the crisis because they got to experience God like they never thought before. You hang in there. You hang in there one step at a time, one day at a time, and you watch God come through and do things you never thought imaginable. As the trove comes back up, could we stand and pray? I mean, really pray. Father, thank you for letting us see salvation happen. Knowing that there, there might have been a couple or a few that didn't stand, and I pray they feel no condemnation for that, but their declaration to you as Lord of their life, desiring to follow you because they believe that you're worth it. Father, I pray that they would know that they are yours. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are now in those who have surrendered to you as Lord of their life to lead, to guide, to counsel, to convict, to encourage, to play with, to laugh with. Father, I thank you that no one can snatch them out of your hand. God, for those who are repenting and needing to come back into intimacy with you, I thank you, God, that in you there's forgiveness. And I pray that they and we all, all of us, we would daily rededicate to you we would daily make the commitment over and over, I belong to Jesus, I belong to Jesus every moment of every day. And God, for those who are broken, oh God, please meet them in a miraculous way. Holy Spirit, may they experience your presence. I don't have to pray that you would be with them. There's never a point when you're not. I pray that they would experience your presence and that you would change their perspective and empower them Empower them to continue on. May they rely completely upon you. Jesus, we thank you that you died for us. We thank you that you came back from the dead. We thank you that we get to see you one day. God, you are awesome. And we love you.
God, to you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor, for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you more than you know.